0: morning again, everybody. My name is uh, Phil Nauer. For those of us that haven't had a chance to to meet face-to-face, I have the privilege of serving as the pastor here at Echo Community Church. I've been here uh, over six years, going on seven years, and uh, really just love being able to do what we get to do here, minister to you, with my primary responsibility to be leading the charge to be and make disciples. And so we are glad that you're here this morning. It was really nice to meet some new folks today. Met Rich, met Brian, met some others. Uh, very first time here. We're glad you're here today. Relax. We don't take ourselves too seriously, but we do take our relationship with God and your relationship with God very seriously. And at, at one of, the, one of the, the core things that we try and accomplish from the youngest to the least young of us every time we come together on a Sunday is simple teaching from the Word of God. So uh, you're not going to get uh, people standing on a soapbox here with their opinion or their good thought for the week or... Or we're going to open up the Bible, we're going to read it and study it together and apply it to our lives because the Bible is truth, it is life changing, it is God's revelation to us. And so we want to be able to help you hear God more clearly and one of the many ways that God speaks to us is through the Bible. So if you're here this morning, I'm going to invite you to uh, log in or open up your Bible to uh, the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 2, we'll look at the Christmas story which makes sense. It's the beginning of the year and Christmas is over. Let's go to the Christmas story. Why not? Um Also, uh, welcome to those of you who are watching live or archived on Facebook or who are listening to our podcast. We're glad you're with us today, and hopefully uh, you'll hear something today that will be meaningful to you. And if you are watching online, don't forget to like, comment, share. If there's something of value that you think your friends would like to hear, it's a way for you to be a missionary on social media and help us get the message of God's Word out to a wider audience. So every year um, since I've been here, I've kind of started... In the summer or the fall, thinking ahead a little bit about what God would have me teach the following year to our congregation. Believe it or not, we do work off of a teaching calendar that I develop through, first through a lot of intensive prayer. And then uh, there's a few people that I include in that process once I have kind of an overarching idea of where I think God is going with us uh, wants to go with us in terms of what we teach on a Sunday. We try to align it at different points in the year. There's just different times of the year where uh, maybe this particular series or this particular, particular message might be more relevant than at another time of the year. Um, and I, some years, in fact, most years that I've been here, God's given me either a, a word or a couple words, sometimes a sentence or a phrase in my heart as the lead pastor to be a theme that, that he comes back He comes back to regularly and revisits throughout the year. Uh, Last year was multiply and occupy. And those of you who were with us last year, especially in the beginning of the year last year, remember, you know, I, I felt multiply in terms of really sinking our teeth into what it means to make disciples, not just be disciples. And we talked about multiplying and exploding our congregation. We talked about occupy. Uh, in, two, in two ways, that we really wanted to believe God to occupy a new worship home and by the end of 2018, and we wanted to physically pray over the entire school district. Now, we were 0 for 2 on both of those things. <laughs> we did not physically complete praying over the entire school district. We started off with some steam and lost the steam about halfway through the year. A few of us Tried to finish it out ourselves, but our feet gave out, and so we covered a lot of the school district. Hopefully, we covered your block. Um, If not, and things are really going wrong where you live, let us know. We'll send a team over there. We'll pray for it. Um, We did not occupy uh, a more permanent home uh, by the end of 2018, but nonetheless, we believe that we heard God. We don't believe any of it was wasted time. We gave it our our very best effort, and um, that's not going to discourage us from going after whatever God has for us this year. But it's okay to own up and say, "Hey, we started off shooting for this," and in one area about the other building, it was not for our lack of effort. It was just that God has not revealed that to us just yet. So we maybe we put God on a timetable that wasn't his. We'll do that every now and again. Uh, we make plans, and sometimes God laughs at our plans. But uh, we trust God. I have no discouragement in my heart that God's desire for this church is to have a more permanent home in this area that we have uh, been planting and investing in and that God will reveal it to us when the time is right and not a Sunday or not an effort or a property is wasted. We're learning something from everything that we do. It does not shake my confidence. I just trust his timing is right. Uh, in terms of us wanting to pray over the whole school district and, and not totally getting there. We gave it a pretty good go. We got about two thirds of the way through um, and it's some leadership lessons for me. But this year, the phrase that God has given me kind of was birthed out of a conversation that I had with God. I won't go off on a rabbit trail about this, but here's what I saw. I've been more of a numbers guy in the past than I am right now, but I think a lot of us probably have an unhealthy self-view based on performance. In other words, when we're really performing at work or we're hitting our numbers or we are really performing in terms of our physical appearance, we've hit a certain number on the scale or a certain size that we're trying to fit into or uh, our performance in terms of romance and love when we're in a certain place in a relationship or we have an unhealthy attachment to what we perceive our performance to be. We still look at performance, and you know, I was looking at Echo's numbers at the end of the year last year, and there were some encouraging numbers and some discouraging numbers when I just looked at the numbers, and one of the things that I'm trying to, to get some discernment on, I shared with the board, is that the number of people who call, at number of adults who call Echo their church home, you attend at least once a month, and or you're giving regularly, and or you're serving in a ministry, that number last year compared to the pre- previous year has grown. However, our Sunday morning attendance in terms of average is shrinking. In other words, we have more people calling us a church home who are attending church less frequently. And so I have to go to the Lord and say, if my primary responsibility to this congregation is to disciple you, how in the world am I going to do that when people are coming on Sundays less and less? And maybe they're coming, you know, on average, probably less than twice a month. And of that time, I get maybe 45 minutes twice or once to talk to you. And of that 45 minutes, you might pay attention, 10 or 15. So I've got 20 to 30 minutes a month to try and help you in the most important relationship in your life. And I don't see that number changing. (laughs) What do I do? Um, I've I've had a little bit of relief in finding that this is a common problem and not more than just echo. More people are calling that their church home, but they're coming less frequently. Even Gateway Church, Robert Morris's church—I mean, for crying out loud, uh, uh, what's her name? Not Lauren Daigle. The other Carrie Job is one of their worship leaders, right? They have forty thousand people in their church. He said their average person attends two point two times a month, right? So if we're at one point eight or one point seven, numbers, numbers, numbers. So I'm like, God, what do I do in the little bit of time that I have, and the expectations that people have when they come here? You know, what do I do in that little window of time that I have? And part of it is, you know, the reality is you're not going to get much better at anything in 20 minutes a month. You're going to lose weight this year if you give 20 minutes a month to dieting. You're going to run a 5K if you give 20 minutes a month to running. You're going to get that raise if you give 20 minutes a month to better performance at work. You're not going to get there. So part of the conversation is, you know what, some of it you're going to have to invest in. If you want to draw close to Jesus, you're going to have to put in some effort and discipline. We also recognize that your expectations when you come to church on Sunday are almost unrealistic in some ways because you live in an age where you can watch any church you want to online live. Many of those churches are not live streaming anymore because they found their Sunday morning attendance is decreasing. So it's not a complaint, it's just kind of a reality. It's a culture war. We live in a culture where, at least a lot of the parents I talk to said, we want our kids to have a worship experience, but that's just one segment of their cafeteria plate. We want our kids to have a well-balanced life and so they need some vegetables, that'll be church, they need some sports, they need some Sundays to travel, they need some other activities, they need to sleep. And we want, we want worship to be, we want worship and being part of a church to be you know part of the plate. We want to give them a well-balanced life. And really, lordship is we dump over our plate and we turn it upside down and everything spills out and we say, God, here's the plate, you're the whole plate. So what do I do? <laughs> How do I not jump off a bridge and say, you know what, I feel like... Echo is still having some meaningful traction and helping to inspire people to be and make disciples, knowing that I might see most of you less than twice a month, and you might pay attention one out of every three minutes that I talk to you. <laughs> what do I do? How would you like my, how would you like that responsibility, right? But I love it. I love what I do, and I'm just like, God, there has to be an answer, and I don't have it. <laughs> I don't have it. I ask my elders to pray for me this morning, like, help me figure this out. Help me figure this out, but here's one thing that now in retrospect I see when God gave me this phrase, I think this will begin to help. And the phrase that He gave me for this year is moments into motion. Moments into motion. And I want to, I'm not introducing to you a term that I invented. In fact, I don't even know where I heard it first, but I went in and introduced to you a term called a God moment. And what this really is about is I want to inspire, encourage, and equip you to be more aware of God's presence in the everyday and in the here and now. I want to help you be more connected to God in concrete ways, to be able to hear his voice more clearly and frequently and regularly with less hesitation and concern. I want to be able to lift your awareness, to be able to find regular, meaningful experiences with God's presence on the daily basis everywhere and in everything because that will electrify your soul. And so maybe I only have you for a few moments, but if I can teach you how to find God not just in monuments and in milestones, but in moments. It will change the fiber of your life to the very smallest atom, and it will completely electrify and inflame your soul for Jesus in ways I could not do otherwise. And so I chose a text this morning quite candidly. This is a little bit unusual because if I just use the overlay of finding God moments, there are literally Dozens upon dozens upon dozens of real life historical examples documented in the Bible the whole way back from Adam, the whole way to the Apostle John of how regular, ordinary, people experienced God in times that were unplanned and unexpected in the normal and the routine they were just aware of God and God did his part to make himself very sensible and they had very meaningful and sometimes life-changing moments with God in places and spaces they ordinarily would have never looked for him Yes, we have illustrations in the Bible how in the middle of a worship service, God showed up. And yes, we have illustrations in the Bible of of powerful times, like in the Old Testament when they were dedicating the temple and the the smoke came down from heaven and filled the entire temple and they couldn't see and they had to leave because his presence was so intense. You have burning bushes, you have all kinds of, you know, you have... A resurrected Jesus getting out of the grave and appearing to people in rooms where the doors were locked. You have some of these epic, monumental milestones. But for every one of those, you probably have 30 or 40 other stories where God just revealed himself to people as they were at work, as they were at rest, as they were going about their day. In one person's case, on his way to go commit murder. God just showed up. And it's not meant to be spooky if you know where to look. So moments into motion. Let me read to you enough of the introduction. Let's get into the meat of this. And let me read to you from Luke chapter two. This is a God moment. Now this kind of falls in the category of something that was rather epic, rather big, but it follows a lot of the other characteristics of God moments and that it happened to a group of people who were not expecting to hear from God at work at that time. He didn't say a whole lot to them. The conversation ended with many of their questions unanswered, without a whole lot of clarity of what to do, but yet they investigated what they thought God was saying and it drew them closer to Jesus. And that particular overlay contains characteristics of God moments that were accessible to people all throughout the Bible and that you and I, this is something that literally you can start putting this into place Right now, this morning, and I promise you, if you will give me the best of your attention, and I realize it's all on me as a communicator, trust me, you remind me. I know you need me to be a good communicator to hold your attention. I'm gonna do the best with the gifts that God gave me. But listen, concentrate on this. I absolutely promise you, this will open up a new way of you experiencing God that will leave you never the same if you can put this into place. Now, I've just given myself a large standard to have to live up to this morning. But I feel very confident because this is who God is. This is not something I made up. I know that this works because I live it, okay? Let me read you from Luke chapter two. Uh, this might sound familiar. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Is this passage familiar to anybody? Okay, you seen the Peanuts movie? Okay, Peanuts Christmas. So, which oh, I'll leave that alone for, for today. Uh, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. You got that? Suddenly, they were at work doing what shepherds do. What do shepherds do? They, 24-7 they watch sheep. They were on the night shift, doing their job. Suddenly, important word. This came out of nowhere, literally. An angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. You get the next three words? They were terrified. Now, if you're expecting this to happen, or if it happens normally, you're not terrified. Okay, You shouldn't be afraid of the things that happen regularly. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid. Angel recognized if they're going to get anything out of the rest of the moment, they need to calm it down. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, which would have meant something to Jews, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. This is not only good news, this is really strange because why in the world of all the people that God could have made the most important announcement of that historic time would he go to a bunch of shepherds on the night watch in the middle of nowhere who are a bunch of scaredy pants? But yet he does. He says, and you'll recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Another word, here it comes again. Suddenly... The angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, a great choir, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Next verse is great. When the angels had returned to heaven. In other words, they're they're minding their own business. It's the night shift. All of a sudden, after the third cup of coffee, angel shows up, tells them not to be scared, even though they were scared, says the Messiah, the thing you've been waiting for centuries, has been born tonight. Here's some clues on where he is. As they're processing that, choir shows up, sings another sentence, then they disappear. And there's the shepherds, mouth agape. But here's what they say Let's go. Next two words. (laughs) Let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened. Uh, Interesting note, shepherds were not thought highly of. Their testimony was not reliable in court. They were not people people looked up to. They looked down to. This was probably the first time anybody ever cared what a shepherd had to say. They told everybody what had happened, what the angel said to them. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. In other words, Mary had a God moment and didn't totally know what it all meant, but she didn't forget about it. She thought about it. She reflected on it. She found God retrospectively. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Here is a God moment. Now, this is a big one. Okay? I, don't know, I know some of you talk to angels regularly. Okay, and I don't mean that lightly. I know some of you, angels are very real things. Okay, they're God's messengers. And uh, I don't, people, have you ever talked to an angel? Pastor, my thing is I'm not Sure. I mean, they've never shown up in the costume that we keep in the storage room in most churches, you know, and they're shown up in that type of a costume. But, for, you know, Bible also says sometimes you're interacting with angels unaware. I'm sure I probably have, but I don't, I don't know. The point of the story today is not about angelology and demonology. The point of the story is this. Here were people who were not in a spiritual frame of mind. They were in the middle of work, and yet one of the most epic conversations between God and human beings took place at a time they weren't expecting it, at a time they weren't looking for it. It scared them. They didn't know exactly what it meant. It didn't answer all of their questions. It started suddenly and ended abruptly. But they acted on what they thought God said and they found Jesus. And in that, we see that God is everywhere and he's in everything. How do we put these moments into motion, I had an experience uh, this past summer that that helps me get at this a little bit. Uh, my wife and I, on January second of this year celebrated twenty years of being married, but we actually took our celebration this last summer. when we had been married ten years, we had no kids, and we had just gotten to a point in life where we could actually afford to actually go on vacation, right. And we said, you know, we don't have it in our budget right now at 10 years to go do some huge celebration, but we made a commitment at 10 years, we're going to start saving up money on the monthly basis, a little bit of money, so that by the time we're 20 years, we could actually go have like a real honeymoon. And at that time, you know, we didn't think kids would be a reality for us. We couldn't get pregnant, no matter how hard we tried. And we said, you know, let's save this amount of money so that at 20 years, you and I can go away for two weeks on a Royal Caribbean cruise. Well, 10 years later and two kids later, the amount of money that would have been two weeks for the two of us on a Royal Caribbean cruise was like three days for all four of us on a Disney cruise. <laughs> and so we went on a Disney cruise, and one of the things that the Disney staff told us before we boarded the boat, told the four of us, they said, now this is going to be really fun. You have to look all over the boat and find all the hidden Mickeys, the little Mickey Mouse outline, you know, his face and the two little ears on the top. And when they say this to me, I'm kind of humoring them, but in the back of my mind I am like, It's a Disney cruise. Mickey Mouse is like the guy. You really think that I'm not going to get on this boat and it's not going to be Mickey everywhere? This is not going to be difficult. I'm expecting just Mickey's face plastered everywhere. And so I kind of like chuckle and we get on the boat. And the moment that we board the boat, I'm like, this didn't look like what I expect. I expected it to look like a great big Disney store and it didn't. It looked like a big luxury boat. Like it was beautiful. And, um, you know, there was, you could find Mickey in the gift shop. There was a couple posters. But over the first five minutes, like even in my memories going back, I don't remember seeing a Mickey Mouse anywhere. In fact, 15 minutes after being on the boat, I totally forgot about their assignment to find Mickey because I didn't see him wandering around everywhere. In fact, you had to wait in line to see Mickey for a long time, Right? If, you, if he popped out in the hallway and you want to go get a picture, there was a really nice Disney staffer that was kind of like no get away. He has to go see the other people, you know. And I'm like, do you know how much we saved up to be here to get one picture with Mickey Mouse? You know, but they didn't listen to me because everybody else had the same issue. But about halfway through the first day, my six-year-old, who is a very literal young man, says, dad, 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 I found Mickey. We're in the bedroom, right? I'm brushing my teeth. I found Mickey. I'm like, Mickey's not in the bedroom. He's like, no, come here. And he's like, look at the wallpaper. Get real close to it. And you get real close to the wallpaper. And when you get real close to it, it's like thousands of little tiny Mickey logos that made up this giant like mosaic thing. I'm like, wow, Mickey's been in here the whole time. (laughs) Mickey's seen everything, right? I'm brushing my teeth. I'm getting ready to rinse my mouth out. He says, dad, Mickey's on your glass. I'm like, what? I look and like they're etched in the little glass in the bathroom is a little tiny Mickey logo. I'm like, that's cool, son. We got to get you a shower before we open up the curtain. He's like, look, Mickey's in the tile in the bathtub, and I'm looking at the mosaic in the tile. I'm not seeing. He's no, no, right here. And he traces his finger, and then I'm looking at all these little mosaics of Mickey. Now my son is seeing Mickey everywhere, on every towel. We're at dinner trying to cut up our food. He's like, look at your, your fork and your spoon and your knife. Literally, Mickey is his little logo. I mean, it's not like obvious, but it's like ingrained in everything we touched. On every beach chair, on every beach towel, there's little Mickey logos everywhere. But it's not like smacking you in the face everywhere. It's not like these big posters. It's like, he really was everywhere. Like, Mickey was, on, was everywhere, on everything, everything Disney made. I'm like, what kind of money did they shell out to make this carpet? Like, what kind of, just for the wallpaper, For the forks in the night, like, they did not go down to, like, Costco and load up the boat, right? Like, they had all this stuff specially made. And the reality that I came away from was they really were right. Mickey was everywhere on everything, and if you were paying attention and you knew where to look, you'd you'd see Mickey all the time. And here's the connection. God is everywhere, the Bible tells us. God's presence is everywhere David said where can I run that your presence isn't there David also said the entire earth is filled with your glory and your presence Paul says in Romans God is revealing himself to us through every single thing that he created in other words his logo his imprint is in everything he made and the reality is this if God is everywhere then experiencing his presence is just about knowing how to pay attention If God's presence really is everywhere, finding God in everything is not a matter of you getting on your knees and saying, God, please show yourself to me today. Why have you, it's a matter of us paying attention because most of us are wandering around life like you're on a Disney cruise. And here's God, and here's God, and here's God, and here's God. And you're looking for big, giant posters, and you're looking for character appearances. And, you're, and the reality is he's on everything you're setting your foot upon, everything you're touching, every face you're seeing, every little interaction from a baby looking at you and smiling to the warm sun on your face, to going outside and just experiencing the breeze and, experiencing the breeze and saying, who told air to move? To watching the flickering of a candle. If you know how to pay attention to God's presence, you will begin to see him reveal himself to you in every errand, in every chore, in every effort, and every action, in every part of nature, in every part of your life, you will be able to find God's presence because the Bible says he's everywhere. And sometimes I wonder about the, the prayers our parents say, God, we come and meet with us today. We, you know, we want your presence to come. His presence is here. It's not like he waits to send his presence. His presence is here. You and I are just not tuned to the station. And so all I want to do today, this is very introductory, very short. I'll try and keep it as practical as possible. Probably won't get through everything this morning i'm watching our time but on the back if you want to jot down a few things you can if you don't don't have to but sometimes it helps if you engage more than one of your senses if you can use listening talking that's why i ask you sometimes to respond that's why i ask you to think it's why i encourage you to write things down it's why i encourage you to talk to somebody about it because the more senses you involve in the learning process the more likely you are to retain what you're hearing so it might help you big ideas right there because god's presence is everywhere finding god in everything is simply a matter of paying attention okay Again, I'm not the first person who came up with the phrase God moment. I actually had to start searching around like, where did I hear this? I, I think I might have heard it in a sermon. Uh, the church I served at in Georgia, Bruce Wilkinson had come and done some teaching there, and I think it might have been him. If you go on YouTube or you go on Google, and you, other people have written books about it. Andy Otto uh, has written a book called, uh, and I'm reading it right now. I'm about two-thirds of the way through. He is a guy who grew up very traditionally Catholic. Um, found God to be very religiously distant from him, didn't really experience God. In his adult years, um, he started dating a girl who was a Protestant girl and started being exposed to the Jesuit faith And uh, from Ignatius about finding God in everything. And he began this journey where he started to experience God's presence in deeply profound ways. And uh, on the daily basis through just uh, a process of, of awareness and prayer and discernment and decisions, a few of the words that I'm using this morning, and, uh, and so I've, I've been reading through some of the things that he writes about it too, a really good perspective on, on this. But uh, let me just, there's a couple statements here. Let me define what, it, I'll give you a definition, not the definition. A God moment occurs whenever I become aware of God's concrete presence in my life. That's what a God moment is. Well, how do I make these happen? You don't make them happen. <laughs> They're happening all the time. You can have dozens of these today. In fact, sometimes you know you're having a God moment and sometimes you don't know later until you think back throughout your day and you say, aha, maybe that was a God moment. Have you ever experienced God retroactively when you look back over a day or a week or a year and say, I didn't realize it at the time, but now I see that was God in that moment. Have you ever had that? I'm gonna teach you in just a moment how you can raise your awareness of those things on a daily basis through something you can add to your prayer life. But a God moment, I'm just saying anytime you become aware of God's concrete presence. In other words, God's presence is all around us all the time. We're just not always aware of it. I'm just saying a God moment is anytime, whatever, your spiritual awareness is up and you're like, God is with me. God is here. Okay? It's a specific instance when God... God allows us to experience experience him in an unmistakable way. All I want to leave with you is it is wise to make the most of these moments. Today is more about recognizing these moments, but then starting next week, here's the problem. So many of us have God moments that we never did another thing with them. We had a God moment. He said something to us. We experienced His presence. He deposited some joy to start something, to stop something, to call somebody, to say something. To we had a real, real, we had a real God moments, but we never put it into motion. We want God to say something new to us when we haven't done anything with the last thing that He said. We're the shepherds who saw the angels and got enough to go on, got at least one next step, and we just stood out there and we talked ourselves out of investigating it. And a lot of us are in that place this morning. You've. You had a God moment. You knew God was challenging you, talking to you, showing you something, connecting to you in a deep way. And you had the moment, and the moment ended, and you never put it into motion, and all it is is a part of your past now. It's not active anymore. So, my whole purpose over this next today, and I hope, I don't know how many more times I'll get to talk to this particular group. Might be a whole different group next week, but I want to help you be, know how to be more aware of, of God's presence. And then I want to encourage you to take those moments and don't leave them at rest, put them into motion. I want you to take those moments and put them into motion and give you some practical ways you can do that. God, uh, uh, God moments, number two, God moments occur primarily, not exclusively, but primarily through the disciplines of awareness in prayer. Occur is a tough word. Um, maybe are realized would be a better phrase. I do my notes on Monday morning and sometimes by Sunday, the message is totally changed in my heart, but deadlines are what they are. God moments occur primarily through the disciplines of awareness and prayer. Pastor, where do I go to find these God moments you're talking about? How do I see the choir of angels singing to me? Okay, don't take the story of the shepherds and say the only way you get a God moment is if he sends an angel and he sends a choir. You're going to be in the very small sliver of people in history that God communicates that way. Don't limit him. I will tell you, awareness. Awareness is really this discipline, this habit, this effort you go into. You're kind of like a radio. I've used this illustration before. Ten years from now, I'll have to change it. People won't know what radios are. Um, we're kind of, in a way, like a radio. Okay, we have a body, a soul, a spirit. We're three in one like God's three in one. I, I've taught on that before. It's a whole lesson in itself. There's a three in oneness to us. We have a body. Our body doesn't have a brain. It's just our body is our physical attributes, our senses. Okay, we have a body. It does what it's told by the next layer of you, which is your soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions, your feelings, your attitudes. It's that part of you that's really you that doesn't have skin. Okay? And your body does whatever your soul tells it to do. Your foot doesn't, well, some, I guess you could have some sicknesses or illness or dysfunctions where your hand does what it wants to do by bypassing your brain, but that's a whole other diagnosis, and there's doctors here that can help you with that. But what I'm talking about, the Bible teaches that it's not your hand that makes you sin, it's your heart that told your hand what to do. It's not your mouth that sins because it got out of control and said something you didn't mean. No, it's your heart and your will cooperated to let something come out of your mouth that was sinful. And it says there's a war over who gets to control your soul, and that happens in your in your spirit. And when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he occupies our spirit, and we invite him then to be the new Lord of your mind, your wills, and your emotions, to think the thoughts of God, to feel the feelings of God, to act on the will of God. And every time we yield our soul to what God tells us through our spirit, righteousness, holiness, honor, respect comes out. But the trick that Paul realized in Romans chapter 7 is that even after we're saved, there's another force trying to control your soul, and it's called your flesh. And even after you're saved, you find it's still possible to sin, and every sin is a, is a failure of being able to take our soul and make it submit to the Spirit of God. In other words, our mind, our, wheel, our will, our thoughts, our feelings decide to act on something that's contrary to the Spirit of God living inside of us. So how how does that play out? Well, we're kind of like radios. Whatever station you tune your soul to, is it the God station or is it the flesh station? We don't have picture-in-picture in in a radio. Radios, if you have one of those old-school radios with an actual dial on them, I realize, man, that's crazy old antique. Um, But if you have a radio that has a dial on it to tune, that radio is capable of receiving any of the stations being broadcast, but not simultaneously. If you're listening to 90.1, you can't also be listening to 95.1 on the same radio. I realize if I use a TV as an illustration, you're like, well, I have picture in picture. I can chop my screen into 16 p- pieces. Or I have the Red Zone package. I can watch everything. Okay, terrible example. But usually, usually, you and I have the ability to tune in or to be aware of the station in which God is broadcasting or the station in which our flesh is broadcasting. Now, there's some overlap, I'm Sure. But you tuning in is an effort that we make. And awareness is when I am tuned to the God station. And I'm processing my day together with God. For example, I'm doing one of the things I'm about to teach you to do. I was doing this this morning. I did it twice today. I'll tell you one now and one in a second. I will spare you the details, but my, you know, part of my responsibilities on Sunday morning, in order that my wife can be here in time to load in and prepare for her work for the day, is I have the distinct privilege of getting three men ready in my house, myself and my two boys. I get them up, I attempt to get them dressed in everything Kendra wants them to wear, and depending on the degree of difficulty, they either come, they come in different percentages of completeness. <laughs> Feed them breakfast, all the other things that go with it. Today, my my one-year-old, I discovered, I won't tell you how, but discovered that he needed a diaper change of the more severe kind. (laughs) And I mean, we are cutting it to the minute. And he is, you know, he's trying to watch the iPad while I'm changing it, and I just decided not to fight the battle today, keep the upper half of him distracted so that he doesn't kick me down in the area where I needed to do some intervention. And um, as I'm doing this, I'm thinking about what I'm talking about this morning, what I'm about to teach you to do. And I'm like, okay, God, if you're in everything, <laughs> where are you right now? <laughs> I'm here cleaning my son's diaper, trying to be as nice to him as I can. He's just having a great old time up there watching, you know, whatever he was watching on the iPad with one of those songs I can't get out of my head now thanks to him. And, and then God just, in that simple non-spiritual moment god just says your son isaiah is experiencing my love and my care and my grace through you right now you cleaning him up is the way he's experiencing me cleaning him up and it like lodged deep in my heart i'm like absolutely i'm having an opportunity right now for my son who can't clean himself up i'm here to i'm cleaning him up but i can do it cheerfully i can do this uh with love and compassion and, 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 and be thorough and all these other types of things that go along with it. And you know what it did for me? I, you're thinking this is ridiculous and there is kind of a risk of you thinking I'm being corny. It took this Monday moment and made it kind of sacred for me. Here is a way I can demonstrate God's love and compassion for my son through me. And it took this ordinary, rather unpleasant chore and it added sacredness to it and I found God in, in, in that moment. Just through almost sarcastic awareness. But God, as gracious as he is, met me in that moment. And and I'm telling you, when I change my son, every time I'm going to remember that. It lodged in my heart, here is a way I can put skin on God and show love to my son from a father figure. And God will do that through people like you and me. And it takes an ordinary moment and it makes it into a God moment. And all it did was me kind of slowing down and just as I'm doing this saying, okay, God, where are you in this moment? Sometimes God will tell you right then and there and other times you have to bank it and look at it later in the day. In fact, another way that you find God moments is through prayer. I know, Okay, pastor, I realize it's New Year's. I've already made my, 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 I'm gonna read the Bible through four times in all the different languages this year. I'm gonna lose 37 pounds. I'm gonna gonna double my income. I'm gonna get married four times. And you know, all these other things, right? You've made your list. I know. Ought, I'm, listen, most Americans pray. 91% of Americans pray regularly. Less than 50% believe in God. So you can figure that out. But, you know, I'm not going to tell you. I've, most of you pray. Let me just give you a couple quick. I hate using the word tips because that sounds, it was the best word I got. Let me give you a couple quick tips on how you can use whatever your prayer life is to be able to experience God's awareness. When you get up in the morning, when those eyes open, Here's a great way. Ask God for a special grace for something you need that day. God, I am going to have to deal with so-and-so at work today. I don't even want to see them. You know it. I know it. Will you give me grace to honor you and how I deal with whoever that is? Havilah, whoever. I'm just kidding. <laughs> she prays that for me. I don't pray that for Havila. She's like the fourth member of the Trinity. Yeah, You don't have to worry. She's Whoever that person is for you. Okay, pastor, that's not profound. Let me tell you what will be profound. At the end of the day, then, you just, you review your day together with God. And you make note of the times when you look back over your day, because many times you don't see God until you look at him, you find him retrospectively, you see him retroactively, okay? The very end of the day, you say, okay, did God supply that grace that I needed for that need today? And in that, and just in that, hey, God, I I need to look, I'm going to be looking for you in this today. And at the end, you say, did God show up there? You're already starting to calibrate your entire day by reviewing it together side by side with the Holy Spirit. And in just that simple change of thought, how long does this take you? A couple seconds? A couple moments? That's one way in your prayers. When you get up in the morning as you're opening your eyes before the first bit of that sweet elixir of coffee touches your lips, God, I need grace for this today. And at the end of the day, you say, did God supply that? Another thing you can do. At the end of the day, I love the, the review prayer, the examine prayer Ignatius talked about. Where you're, you're just reviewing the last, however long you're awake, 18 hours with God at the end of the day. And it's just a simple thing. where did I find God today? Where did I see him? What were those moments? Where was God absent? And what do I do with it? Because sometimes you'll say, hey, I had this moment today. I'm pretty sure it was a God moment. I have no idea what it meant. Mary kept all these things in her heart and she thought about them. Because I will tell you, sometimes you have a God moment and you get it. Okay, cleaning my son up is a way for me to, you know, be God's presence in his life. And other times you're like, I had this experience. I don't have enough time to tell the whole story. But uh, back in uh, my day off, air quotes, is Friday. About halfway through December, one of those Fridays, I was sick as a dog. Sick as a sick dog, I guess. Not all dogs are sick, but sick as a sick dog. Had the headache, the 24-hour flu, couldn't keep food solids, liquids. I was feeling awful. Um, I was I was trying to take a nap in my son's room, which is parallel with the front door. So anytime that someone knocks on the door, I hear it. About 2 in the afternoon, I hear the door just pounding on the door. We have a doorbell, but apparently pounding on the door. You know, I was six, so I was hoping Kendra would go to the door, and I heard her walk out there, didn't hear the door open. She comes back to report to me on what she saw looking out the window. Apparently, this is, I don't know if this happens in your house, but sometimes when Kendra gets the door first, she kind of, you know, she previews who or what might be at the door, and then she reports to me, because um, I guess that's part of the unspoken male responsibilities in my house. I open the door for the question marks. So she says, uh, she says there's, a, there's a guy that's parked in our driveway and pounding on the door. What does he want? Well, I don't know. Could you go? And with less than love and enthusiasm, I consented. And I go to the door. There's no guy there, just a car. So I go back to bed. Five minutes later, boom, 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 boom. Now I'm irritated because this guy ought to know I'm sick and in bed. I go to the door. I open the door. Guy about my age. Hey, I'm sorry to bother you. Biggest lie people ever tell. You know how you prove that you really don't want to bother someone? You don't bother them. In bothering me, you're telling, you don't really hate it that much. I hate onions. You know how I prove it? I don't eat them. Pounds on my door. Sorry to bother you, but I ran out of gas, and my two teenage kids are in the car, and I'm in the, you know, I'm out here in the driveway, and can you, can you give me a ride to go get gas? And the answer is yes, I can. I just looked at him and said, just give me a minute. Put on my shoes. Go outside. He's got his two teenage kids in the back car. He's got his Jeep Cherokee in the driveway. Uh, my other neighbor across the street has now come out, and he's you know, got a little gas can with this much gas in it, not enough to get the gar- car started. So I say to the guy, I was like, all right, just give me a second. I'll take the kids' seats out of my car. I'll take you and your teenage kids with me so they're not sitting in your car on the side of the road. We'll go to the gas station. He says, no, they're going to be okay in the car. I was like, you want to leave your two teenagers in the car on the side of the road? Yeah, they don't need to get out. They can, they can just play on their phones, right? It's your kids. So we get in the car, we drive to the gas station, um, we get out of the car, and of course, here's where the story goes. He pulls out his wallet, which is like George Costanza Costanza Thickness, okay? Um, And he starts to fumble through it. Oh no, oh no. I'm like, let me guess. You don't have any money. Yeah, my daughter, we're late for her driver's ed class. I'm like, first of all, you're 15 miles away from her driver's ed class, and you think you had enough gas to get there. All right. You're also the parent who thinks to leave your kids in the side of the road, and now you don't have any I was like, listen, go inside, get a gas can. I'll pay for your gas. I put my credit card in, take it out, put the gas, put it in the thing. He's trying to he's trying to open up. He's like, do you know how to open one of these? I said, you mean a gas can? Yeah, how do you, do you turn it this way or that and there's a, there's a good old boy pumping gas on the other side. And he just looks at me and he looks at him and he looks at me and he, looks, and he, just, and he just rolls his eyes like this, this guy's an embarrassment to males everywhere. Like, no, it's okay. I'll open it for you. And I'm thinking, there is a couple moments where I'm irritated, I'm mad, I'm inconvenienced, I'm disgusted. And there is a part of me like, God, is this a sermon illustration coming at some point? What is, what is going on? Here I open the thing up. I fill the gas. I pay for his gas. I put the thing back on. I get him in the car. He's mumbling and jumbling the whole way down the road. And we get back, and I hand him the gas can. I was like, okay, fill up your tank with the plug on it. He starts trying to jam it. Give me the thing and take the thing off. Go, 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 Starts the car, it turns on, oh, he's happy, life is good. And he looks at me, he says, listen, what can I do? Is there anything I can do for you? The right answer is, no, don't worry about it. But there was a part of me that thought, you know, you do kind of owe me. And in that moment, my mind starts going through, what do I know about this guy? What What request is he qualified to meet? All I know about the guy is he doesn't know how to check his gas tank, doesn't know how to unscrew a gas can, doesn't carry any money with him, leaves his two teenage children in the side of the road while he goes to get gas, um, and can't fill up his own car. What type of request could I make that he could pull off? And I just said, no, you know what, it's, it's fine, Merry Christmas, have a, just go, you know, like, just get out of my driveway. And as I turn around, I, what I had noticed is there's another car in my driveway, and there's a guy walking down the street with a gas can. And I'm like, no, we're good, we're good, we're good, we got it. He's like, no, my car ran out of gas too. (laughs) And now this guy's pulling away, and apparently 3105 North Wind Road is where you run out of gas. I don't know. (laughs) This joker comes down, and he's, thankfully, I mean, he knew how to operate a gas can and had cash with him and was able to fill up his car. And I just said, man, is there, you need anything else? He's like, nah. He's like, did that guy run out of gas too? I said, yeah. Yeah. What are the odds two people run out of gas in your driveway? (laughs) And I'm like, okay, this is a God moment. The first time in my entire life, two people have run out of gas in my driveway. (laughs) To this day, I have no idea. I don't know what it was. I didn't get any revelation from God. Maybe one of them was an angel and I've totally blown it. I don't know. All I'm saying is sometimes... You have a moment that is just too unforgettable and too random to be filed away under circumstance. And you're like, perhaps God was in it and I didn't recognize it. Like Jacob said one time, I was like, man, God's presence was here and I didn't even know. I still don't know. Now I realize anytime I share this publicly, those of you with email are going to be like, I have the interpretation. (laughs) And this afternoon you will send me, here's what God was trying to tell you. Thank you for that. And maybe one out of the nine of you will be right. I don't know. (laughs) awareness prayer is how we see God's moments discernment is decision and decision is how you put them into motion and sometimes you get that discernment right away like I did with Isaiah this morning sometimes you get it right away like the shepherds did hey let's go let's just go let's put this into motion and other times like Mary you just store it away in your heart and you say I'm pretty sure that was a God moment I'm reflecting back at the end of the day and I'm looking back, I'm saying, you know what? In that conversation right there, I see it now. God put me in that person's path in that conversation with the barista at Starbucks. Or that was God that I did get to work 10 minutes late because if I wouldn't have, and you didn't see it in the moment, but you see it later and it tunes you in. And other times you're like, that was a God moment. I have no idea. I'm gonna store it away and maybe it'll make sense later. You can even take those moments you don't know how to act on and put them in in motion. How? You find that one person in your life you feel least weird about bouncing these things off of. And you say, this crazy thing happened to me today. And I'm not sure if it was God or just something random. But can I? The moment you do that, you've put it into motion. The moment that at the end of the day when you're reviewing your day with God, you just own it with God. And it's like you're in your Kindle and you're just putting a highlight and you're just saying, God... This paragraph of my day, I think you were talking to me there. I'm not sure. Can we just highlight that? Can we highlight that? That's taking awareness and it's taking your prayers. And that's where these moments will begin to surface. And then the what you do with them comes down to, and we'll talk more about this over the next few weeks, discernment and decision. You see what happened with the shepherds. You see a lot of these things. See, what are some characteristics of God moments? I'll just give. They sometimes sometimes God moments they come out of nowhere. They start suddenly. They end abruptly. Have you ever had that happen? You are minding your own business in the grocery store, and all of a sudden, with no warning, you're in a quick conversation with somebody, and you recognize, man, this could be my God moment. And all of a sudden, they're like, okay, and they're and they're gone, and they pull out of your driveway, and they take their cars with gas, and they're gone. That's normal (laughs) because our awareness doesn't always stay that wide open. Sometimes it's like God opens your eyes for a second and you see Mickey in the tile tub and you say that's pretty cool. And then, hey, your kid's now running towards the door with no clothes on. You got to go grab him. You know, it's like, okay, that moment kind of (laughs) ended. That's why it's important at the end of the day to just stop and review. Where did I see God today? Where was he absent? What was he trying to show me? What was he trying to tell me? You see it retroactively. This happened to me yesterday. I, I See, I got to close here. So let me, just give you, let me just give you the quick ones without any commentary. Sometimes God moments start abruptly and they end suddenly. God moments may leave some of your key questions unanswered. Think about the shepherds. You know what? They got like five sentences of information and then the angels disappear. They didn't tell them what to do with the sheep. The angels didn't tell them, should all shepherds go? Do we leave the sheep here? Do we take them with us? Do we take all the sheep into the delivery area? What do we do? Which baby? How many other babies are going to be wrapped in... I mean, they did, there's a lot of key questions unanswered, but at least the, the angel said, "Is go into Bethlehem, and you know what they said? Let's go. Sometimes God might not give you all 21 steps, but he'll give you one. What are you doing with the one? What's the worst thing that could happen? God not, may not always answer all your questions in every God moment, but usually he'll give you some sort of a clue or a hint And if he doesn't give you that, you can keep it in your heart and process it out with somebody else. But I'll tell you this, another characteristic of a God moment, it's intended to nudge you closer to Jesus. It's intended to bring you closer to Jesus. What did the shepherds find when they pursued what they thought was God? They found Jesus. The intention of God allowing us to experience him concretely in the everyday and in the regular is to raise your awareness that he's with you all the time, to show you that Jesus really is right there with you all the time. That's where he is. I had an experience yesterday where I'm at Chase's uh, rec basketball game and um, you know I'm you know Kendra Isaiah going to Chase's basketball games right now is not good. He's not a sit stiller, he's a participator, and that's strictly Fairboten in the uh, you know in the basketball league. So we've decided Isaiah's not gonna attend these games for a little while. But I noticed, you know, so Kendra said take a couple videos of Chase. So I'm you know, I'm with my phone, I'm taking a couple videos of him playing. And I didn't think about it at the time, but when I'm watching the videos back later in the afternoon, I noticed as I'm watching Chase that after every, every player, after every defensive exchange, he would stop and he would look at me. And he'd stop and he'd do his thing and would, you know, when they'd go down the other end, he'd stop and he'd look at me. And I didn't notice until I'm looking in the camera. And I'm watching him. What he's doing is he's looking at my face and based on what my face says to him, it either gives him encouragement or discouragement. He's looking to me for some type of confidence and courage as I'm spectating in his basketball game. Now, I didn't pick it up at the time, but later in the day, when I'm reflecting back over my day, God showed me that's another moment that can become sacred because here's a chance for me to be the confidence of his heavenly father through me. So even now when I go to my son's basketball game, it's made parts of what I do there sacred to me because now I see I can represent God to my son by every time that he looks to me. Whether he makes a great play or whether he bounces it off his foot for the 40th time. whether No matter what happens, he's looking to me to say, I still love you. I still believe in you. You can go get him. He's just in that one little moment. And now it's made that whole time a spiritual thing for me. I didn't get it when it was happening. But as I was looking back over my day, God gave me some discernment to take something like that and make it spiritual. I hope this doesn't seem corny to you. I hope this doesn't seem ridiculous to you, but I hope maybe as I'm sharing some of my stories, you're thinking through different moments of the day where you can just say, "Pause it, God. Where are you in this? Where can I see you around me right now? What tile? What?" Knife. What wallpaper are you in right now that I'm not seeing? I promise you, if you learn how to pay attention, you will see God everywhere and everything. It will electrify your soul, and it will make God not seem as distant as religion tells you that it is. It will make him seem personal and intimate. And one thing, practical thing as we conclude and the worship team come back, one practical thing we can do as a church is something that we're going to start next Sunday. I'm calling it 21 Days Together, I'm sorry if I didn't get through all the notes I gave you as, as much as I could today. Um, 21 days together. So beginning next Sunday and continuing up to and including, or not including, up to Super Bowl Sunday because asking you to give up food through Super Bowl is a big ask, so I'm not going to do that. But I'm calling it 21 days together. I'm just asking us as a church family, I'm calling us as a church family to three weeks of reading the bible together praying together fasting together in your bulletin there's a simple little card that i'm not going to ask you to fill out right now but i want you to take it with you and i want you to prayerfully think about this this week i want you to think about this we're gonna i'm asking us to read the bible together we'll talk more about it next week pastor james mentioned in our in our growth groups we're going to be talking about the gut we're going to be studying the gospel of mark beginning next week i'm going to be teaching through the gospel of mark up through and including easter not every single verse, but we'll go through it chronologically. I'll pick something out of chapter one to talk about chapter two. It's powerful for us as a church family to be reading through the same things together. So to help you with that, next Sunday we'll have a resource available. If you follow us on Facebook, we've broken that down into, into weekly reading segments. Not the whole Gospel of Mark in three weeks, I don't think, but just some passages of Mark. Or maybe it is. But it, it'll put you on a reading plan through 21 days. That we can be reading the same thing together. If you don't, if you're not on Facebook, we'll have hard copies printed out for you next week. A little reading plan to help you with that. Um, we want to pray together. Next week, we're going to give you two things that we can pray together about for our church. All of us praying the same things together—not the only things you pray about—but let's get as a church. Let's wrap around our hearts around a couple of things we're asking God for this year and fasting together. Um, I'm not going to give you specific instructions. We're all going to fast. This food or that food, a fast, is not unique to Christianity. In fact, uh, I'm not asking you to diet together. Just giving up food to lose weight is a fast, but it's not a spiritual fast. It's a dietary fast. Lots of other religions believe in it. What we believe the Bible teaches is that a fast is a time where we accept an invitation from God to give up something dietary for something spiritual. We fast from something and for something spiritual. I'll unpack this a little more next week. Some of you follow what you know, we would call a Daniel fast. You're giving up meats, primarily meats and sweets and processed foods for three weeks. And you're focusing on mostly you know, vegetables and fruits and things of that nature. If that's something you want to do, go for it. Um, I also realize there's a cost that comes to that. So I want you to enter into this prayerfully. I didn't want to spring this on you. Like, hey, we're fasting starting today. Surprise. Here we go. I want you to get yourself ready for this. Um, But, uh, you know, you can fast from other things too. I hear people, I fast from television, I fast from this, that's fine. But I am asking at least on our corporate fast, you include something dietary. That will be a challenge for you for your flesh, okay? If you hate onions like I do and you fast for onions for 21 days, that's not a challenge. You might say, I want to follow like a Daniel fast. Or you might say, I want to fast one meal a day for 21 days. Or you might say, I'm going to limit myself to only one hour during the day where I'll take food is nourishment and the other 23 hours it will just be liquids and all fast. Or you might say, I'll do one complete fast. I'll take one day a week and I'll fast breakfast, lunch, and all kinds of different options. I don't want to legislate to you, but pick something that will be a challenge to your flesh with the primary goal, not just to lose weight, but it's something that you're going to do intentionally in order for you to increase the intimacy and the connection between you and God. And I'm not asking you to do it by yourself. I'm asking us to do this together, 21 days together. Um, even as I was sharing James and Havila this past week about the title. We knew we were going to do this, but I came up, you know, I want to call it 21 days together. So we were talking about the message on God moments. We, Havila had a God moment in the middle of a conversation about God moments. She's like, oh my gosh. She's like, God just confirmed something to me as I was praying about my spiritual pursuit this, this next year in the month of December. God put the word together in my heart for something I'm supposed to look for for myself. And I was kind of wrestling with what that really meant. And now you said 21 days together. It's just like God really spoke to me. I didn't know that. I wasn't tuned into that. But you see, even in simple conversations, just processing through what God's doing in your life with other people gives other people a chance to find God through you. So I'm just encouraging you. You don't have to act on this today. I do want you to think about this this week. I don't want this to sneak up on you. I want you to give some thought to this. Next week we will collect them. Notice you don't have to put your name on there. But I want to collect them just so that I can be praying over the different things that we're doing. We're going to do this together. Okay, 21, it will help you raise your level of awareness. It will help you connect with God more deeply through prayer. It will help with your discernment and the courage to make decisions when it comes to acting on the God moments in your life. Let's pray. I don't want to assume that everybody has a... A personal relationship with Jesus this morning. I do want to let you know that Jesus is everywhere. Jesus loves you. Jesus has died on the cross for your sins. Jesus wants to come and live inside of you like we talked about. He wants to fill your spirit with himself. He wants to give you purpose and meaning and identity that are durable. His invitation is will you surrender control of your life to him? Will you confess your belief in him? Will you hand over the keys to the car to him and allow him to be your leader, to be your Lord? If you're ready to do that, like I said, simple as ABC, admit, believe, choose. Admit that on your own, you can't get into heaven, that you've sinned, that you've disobeyed God, that you're living life your own way. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came to earth and lived the sinless, perfect life we should have lived. He died a death that we deserve to die as our substitute in our place. And that he rose from the dead and is alive today. And that now you're accepted by his Father based on Jesus' resume, not on yours. Based on Jesus' performance, not on yours. And see, will you choose to give him control of your life? Will you choose him to be your Lord and Savior? Will you live as he leads you to live, knowing that you can trust him to call the shots? That's what it means to surrender your life to Jesus. And if you're ready to do that, or if you say, Pastor, I've made that decision, but I've drifted and it's a new year, I want to start fresh with Jesus. Here's the prayer you can pray Dear Jesus, I have sinned against you, and I admit that I need to be changed, I need to be saved, I need to be rescued. I confess with my lips and with my voice, I confess my belief in you, in your life, your death, and your resurrection. I receive forgiveness for my sins. I invite you to take up residence inside of me, and I choose you to be my Lord. I give up control to you. I surrender to you. I wave the white flag, and I invite you to take your rightful place as the king, the leader, and the Lord of my life. Thank you for saving me. Amen.